I'm Adrian Jones, and this is Profound Awesomeness. Mark Pruitt, what a survivor. Although we had to navigate through some technical difficulties during our conversation, I hope you enjoy hearing his story of fighting kidney failure and what a story it is. This is a story of human triumph and the will to live over a very dangerous situation with long odds. Mark, we're glad you're here and we cannot thank you enough for your service or for sharing your death-defying fight against kidney failure. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Profound Awesomeness. Today, we have Mark Pruitt joining us. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today to share your story. For sure. I'm glad to be here talking to you. Well, we're thrilled to have your your time here and have you on the show. So um, I'm sure a lot of people uh, don't know who you are. Let's Let's learn a little bit more about Mark Pruitt. Where uh, where are you from? And tell us a bit about yourself. Sure. Well, um, pretty much grew up um, in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Also, um, have did some time out in Colorado uh, because of family situations. And um, hot <laughs> and very muggy Atlanta, Georgia. So it was it was a was a good upbringing, went ahead and um, went through school down there and uh, was heavily into sports and ended up going to uh, Georgia Tech to play football. And uh, that was pretty much my life at the time. was pretty excited to do that, stay in state. I was recruited to some other schools, but wanted to stay close by. And uh, ended up playing there, uh, studied sports med, kinesiology. Um, was a defensive back on the team. And then um, after that, I wanted to pursue football further in a professional career. So I went on non-drafted and um, made it on to the former Washington Redskins team in the NFL and um, played uh, with them for one year special teams ended up getting injured and went ahead and um, exited the NFL. You know, the NFL usually is a three to four year career on the average due to injuries. So um, it was a short stand. It was a very, very incredible experience to be at that level. Um, not many people get to experience that, whether it's for a whole long career or short career. It was, um, but I didn't leave it bitter. You know, injuries do happen in the game, and I'm just glad to have had that opportunity. So after that, um, people kind of will say you did things backwards, Mark. A lot of times, if people go in the in the military, they go to the military first and then school after or school before. But the thing with me is I went ahead and and uh, went into the army right after um, my son was born and um, <clears throat> after after the NFL was short and that career ended I was like I got to get something quick here and something stable um, I had become a single parent and my son was 13 months old I had him full custody with me and um, 
you know, I was no longer making a, a salary in the NFL. So I went right in the military and um, spent four years in there. I um, did two combat tours. Um, and then um, as you have the opportunity to reenlist, I wanted to focus more on my son. Um, being in a combat MLS, you're not around very much. So uh, my main main priority was to be there for my son more than I had been. Um, and because, of course, I had complete responsibility for him. <clears throat> so after that, I um, had an armal discharge, left the military, and then went in to um, actually move to Texas after that. Because in the military, they move you around to all different kinds of bases. Um, started... Um, working for a few gyms, did some internships because my interest was personal training, nutrition, and to um, pursue that. So I worked for some big gyms, had some great experiences, but um, found out that uh, I wanted to venture off and break off and start my own businesses. So um, at the time, my dad was in Denver, Colorado, and he said, why don't you come up here and give it a give it a shot. And at the time in Texas, I was in San Antonio. So I came up here and, um, uh, 2004 to Denver, Colorado and, uh, continued to network and, and build up my clientele and, uh, pretty much ran my business as a personal trainer. And, um, I really like the hands-on approach. There's a niche market with this kind of business, there's a, a lot of people do um, online training and whatnot, but uh, I like the, there is a niche market for face-to-face, one-on-one. And I just really enjoy helping people. I enjoy getting them to their goals and the challenges because everybody's different. And being a former athlete, it just, it fit perfect for me. They say, if you enjoy what you do for work, you're never really working. So that's a that's an honor and a privilege that I've had with and uh, it's the stories of all my clients are just been tremendous and it's it's been a great experience and that's the biggest reward right there not only just the flexibility of of being your own boss so that's just kind of like a quick run up to to basically um, when things change dramatically in um, 2017 so yeah. oh, that's a great, great uh, background. And thank you for sharing all that. First of all, let me mm-hmm. say thank you very much for your service on behalf of uh, our listeners. Um, thank you so much. And then also going back to your time in the NFL, that was one year. I'm just mm-hmm. curious, do you have a favorite moment of being in the NFL? Any highlight that uh, you remember? Well, I am not. Um... I was not a big time star. So that brief time, especially as a rookie, just being able to one, make the team undrafted was a big deal. Number two, uh, they did put me on some special teams. So while I played during that year, um, I, you know, I wasn't out there play for play, but I think just the, the, there wasn't really a moment. It was just more of a, um, the opportunity to be around such elite athletes 
and, and to um, it's really difficult to explain the NFL experience other than um, for the short period I was there. Um, but it, it's, um, it was over quick, but it was just an exceptional experience. That's all I could say. That's something else. That's mm-hmm. something else. You're our, the first professional athlete we've had on the show. So <laughs> right. break, breaking new ground, having you on Mark. <laughs> all right. Yeah. <laughs> so you you moved to Colorado and of course, Colorado is near and dear to my heart. I, I grew up in Colorado. Uh, so it, uh, it, it resonates with me. Uh, and in fact, we met because uh, we have a mutual friend uh, also in Colorado. Someone I went to high school with uh, works out with you, trains with you. For sure. Yeah. Um, so now lead us up. You moved to Colorado and you say 2017 things started to change for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, tell us more what happened in 2017. Sure. Um, well, I was, you know, they say health is wealth. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, while I experienced that tremendously with a lot of clients because health issues or, or other challenges. And I never really had experienced that myself. Now, as far as challenges, I had experienced them, but I was, I've always been able to either figure things out or, or have the discipline or make the adjustments needed to, for whatever it may be. And then if we're talking about health here, I've just been, was very fortunate to stay healthy. And, um, as I would tell my clients, um, I'm not just going to help you and, and teach you things, but I do live the lifestyle and um, I practice what I preach. So as that went by, um, 2017 came up and I just noticed there was a, at the time I was a sponsored athlete nationally in health and fitness, made appearances, did seminars, whatnot, mm-hmm. went to um bodybuilding and fitness shows. And, uh, as that was a, a big part of, of what I had going on, I started to really feel tired and sick when I was traveling for those in 2017 and then around work as well. And just a, a real big fatigue. And, um, of course, you know, with my knowledge and background, I would go down the checklist in my head and check things out and think, you know, is there adjustments need to made, be made and whatnot? Well, it came to the point where it went way beyond what I could do. And I went in for a checkup with the doctor. And um, they did some blood work, saw my creatinine, my BUN, and those are things related to kidneys, were um, at a very high level um, and not in a good way. So, um, you know, your creatinine can be at a, depending on the graph they're looking at on a, on a basic blood lab work is around 1.23 to 1.1. And mine was already sitting at a 1.7. So your creatinine levels can also vary depending on how hydrated you are as well. So I always drink a tremendous amount of water, thought I was, you know, good to go. 
And uh, they did the blood work and the doctors got back to me and says, you know what, Mark, we need to further check into this because we think there's some possible kidney failure going on. And they did ask if I had any, you know, prior uh, history of any um, health problems. And I had been on a blood pressure medication and tried to control that through diet and exercise and, um, and a medication. And um, so I told them about that. Also, I told them that my history that my um, my grandfather, um, my um, mother's dad, died at 42 years old as a colonel in the army. He was a healthy, non-obese, non-smoker. Massive heart attack, died right at his desk at 42 years old. Um, my, I have always... At this time, too, I had lost an aunt on the same side of the family from a heart attack, massive heart attack, and an uncle. Um, there was nine of nine kids in that family. And three of them had already passed from heart attacks, including my grandfather. So there was a there was definitely some heart and blood issues on that side of the family. So I mentioned that to the doctor and I was well aware of those. But um so they do, they went in and checked longer and, and I went in for more tests. And at the same time, I just got more fatigued, more sick and uh, starting to lose body weight. Um, just wasn't myself. And uh, they did a, finally came up and said, let's do a kidney biopsy. And in that biopsy, uh, I'll never forget, I got the phone call and the doctor says, you have about a year before you'll be at stage five kidney failure. We're going to have to put you on dialysis. So that was a, that was a rough phone call to get, you know? Um, yeah. What did and, you think uh, when you got that call? What, what was going through your mind as you heard those words? Well, it wasn't um, a really a denial. Like, like I didn't believe it. It was because I knew I wasn't feeling right. It was more of just like, here we go again because of some of the other challenges in my life. They weren't health challenges in my life, but they were challenges to, to where I would have to fix or take care of things. I've always had to do that. I have never had family around me. Um, very few friends to ever rely on to whatever the issue may be in life. So I was like, okay, let's get this thing fixed. We'll be on up and running here soon. And, um, the, it won't be as bad as what they're saying it is, so to speak. Right. So, um, basically, uh, you know, obviously that kind of news is not the greatest news to get. And, uh, in that biopsy, just so you know, they, um, they said that it was due to scarring of the kidneys from high blood pressure. So, you know, blood, high blood pressure could attack us in all different ways. As you, as you well know, as, um, a lot of times in my family history attacked their hearts and in my case um it scarred up my kidneys really bad and when um this could be said at the end of things but i do want to tell you in retrospect um your week your uh, yearly and monthly checkups they always need to be there and when, even if you're fit and you're healthy and you've been feeling good for years um, you know, you definitely need to be getting checked. And, um, 
Agreed. I had agree. Not, and I had, <laughs> and I had not been getting checked yearly. I mean, why would I? I mean, in my mind, so to speak, you know, I was like, well, you know, I feel good. I, I just feel blessed that I'm able to function the way I am and, um, and be at such an elite level, even in the fitness industry. So, um, in retrospect, yeah, it is because things not necessarily could have been prohibited, but, um, preventive maintenance is what I would always also teach as far as, you know, staying healthy. And that includes what's going on inside your body. So, um, scarring of the kidneys from the high blood pressure and um even when you're on a hot even though you're on medication for blood pressure right well yeah because in my situation it's kind of hard to explain um i would have severe severe spikes so you know you hear the the traditional 130 over 80 is a healthy blood pressure and um as they checked me just kind of speed and fast forward then backing up for a year as they checked me out and did regular checkups in the year uh they found that um literally at um and they would send a monitor at home for me that even on the medication my blood pressure would spike up to 240 over 185 wow just i'm giving you some crazy numbers for periods of time even when i slept um i could be sitting here back then and let's say I'm talking to you and all of a sudden that monitor would show or I could take my blood pressure and it would be um, 260 over 170, 160. So those are tremendous spikes, huge spikes. And they wow. did try a sort assortment of medications. And you got to think of this, too. Over the years, however long it had been, each time it's doing that, it's it's doing damage. And of course, when they caught, they caught it, um, they tried all kinds of different medications. And when I get further along in this story, it will kind of help answer your question as far as the medications, the blood pressure medications, Um, because I still have problems to this day. And I'll, I'll explain that as we go. And they didn't, they only based it on, um, um, you know, bring predisposed to high blood pressure, but where they just could not control it. And they said, you know, you're going to keep going this route and you're eventually going to, you're going to have kidney failure stage five. Mark, do you so, know, like, cause you, you talk about, and I'm sorry, all those people in your family suffered heart attacks and um, uh, I'm sorry to hear that. Did knowing that information help the doctors identify what might be wrong with you or, or was that, sort of ancillary to the diagnosis uh they did to a point okay but um it was more um i don't know how to explain it they just share that you know obviously if you do have a history of something in your family that it can be be something that you you have later on in life as well yep mm-hmm. and um uh you know, I will tell you in retrospect too. At I never got to meet my grandfather because he had obviously passed before I came into this world. But um, he uh, he lived to forty two, and I thought, well, it's past forty two, and I'm forty seven today. By the way, not birthday, but forty seven. But I had already passed forty two, and I'm like, hey, 
um, I'm, I'll probably be okay because it wasn't on my mind. It wasn't something I was thinking all the time. And, um, but, um, by the way, those others that had passed in my family were all in their early forties between wow. 40 and 43. So young. Jeez. Yeah. And, um, nobody lives a perfect lifestyle, but these were all, uh, non-smokers, non-drinkers and non-obese. So like I said, you can, you can have the appearance of being healthy, but if something's wrong, something's wrong for sure. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, um, after that diagnosis, diagnosis, I can't even say it, diagnosis, I pursued to see some people that I um, had met throughout the years in order to combat, combat that. And I started doing some IV treatments with some cocktails that, um, a doctor friend had, um, non-kidney doctor, but a kid, a doctor that had started to make cocktails for me. And I ran on those for, um, for several months and we saw small improvements, but the kidney doctors were like, you can run on those, but they're never going to, uh, bring, bring your kidneys back the way they are. But I was pre, I was determined to at least give it a try, uh, before any kind of dialysis. And um, did did those for about eight months, and um, I really did well for the first three or four months. I had uh, those were two IVs every other day, and um, of course, everything that was put in them was approved by my kidney doctors. A lot of vitamins like B twelve, C, D, um, and um, uh, some things that would also help you energy wise. Anyways, um, about after six months that I started to drop tremendously, excuse me, ended up. Um, and at this time I'm still working full time. I'm seeing my, my clients and, uh, but things are really noticeable physically, you know, I, other than the weight loss, it was just a, you know, my skin started changing a little bit of color, whatnot. And, um, and the fatigue level was tremendous. And they all, the doctors told me this is coming. And like fatigue level, like you can't get out of bed fatigued or just walking is exhausting. Even walking was exhausting. And because my love and passion is to, is to work out and to um, challenge myself in, in a lot of ways man, just simple tasks, tasks became very difficult. And, um, even, um, going and doing things with my son became very difficult. And of course, you know, um, that was, that was important to me. Um, cause, um, while I've had some relationships over the years, I never remarried. So he is, he's always been with me up until, um, he was, um, 20. And then, um, um, just kind of, so, you know, a little bit, it's how this all ties in. He went ahead and went into the army himself. And, um, so during this time I was sick, he was in, uh, Fort Irwin, California. Um, and, uh, in the active army. And, uh, I would, I would share some things with him of, of what was going on at the time and uh, keep him up to date. He was the only one. Um, my family, 
Um, and then, uh, except for a few of my clients and a few close friends, I always kept my business to myself, my personal health and, um, but people didn't notice. So, um, back to after the IV treatments, I was in the gym one day and I was taking care of a client and I, I just dropped to my knees and it wasn't like a heart attack. It wasn't like I couldn't breathe, but it was like the fatigue had overcome me and I wasn't even working out. I was just working with, the, with working with my client. <clears throat> and, uh, so, um, I knew the gym owner very well because, um, uh, it's very common for a lot of us trainers to pay rent in these gyms so that we can bring our clients in and take care of them. And, uh, he, he asked me if he could help me. And I says, Hey, is there any way you could drive me to uh hospital? And that was about a 20 minute ride where we had to go. And I just remember kind of being in and out of it a little bit. And at the time, um, I was dating a, a lady and I mentioned to her, Hey, you know, I'm not feeling really good. And of course she was up to date on everything. And I got to the hospital and, um, come to find out they rushed me right away. They did test and my organs, everything was starting to fail. Um, basically because the kidneys weren't functioning. They were functioning about now down to about 9%. That was told. Um, so then they rushed me in there and then started the procedure right away with the surgery, putting almost like a port in my chest. I think that's what they called it where they connect it to, to where it goes into your heart, um, for access to, to your blood. <clears throat> and then that goes into a machine, which is called the dialysis machine. 9% functionality. When you got to the hospital, mm, I was, I was put in intensive care right away. Yeah, I'll bet. Mm -hmm. So, um, how far away were you from zero? I mean, how much longer would it have been for you to get down to zero? Well, I, I, I got, um, they didn't uh, scold me or anything, but they said, we, we wish you had come in much earlier than this because we're, we're, we're really testing the waters here. Yep. And, uh, this, this is a very serious situation. And, um, you know, when those kidneys shut down like that, it's, your organs will follow behind it because, you know, they're all important. And um, I was starting to get toxins in my blood. And those toxins can run to your heart, your brain, because your kidneys clean you. And what happens is, too, I was starting to get fluid retention. And what the fluid retention means, you're not getting rid of all your urine. So what happens is, is that gets stored up into your blood and it starts poisoning your body. So you're like walking around like a toxic dump inside. Right. It's like everything's starting to leak and ooze out because <clears throat> you're not getting filtered. Okay. So they hooked, they got, they did a surgery right then and there, started me, hooked me up to a dialysis machine, which cleans your blood or as well as it can. <laughs> and it basically is your lifeline. You're, you're not going to um, function without it. 
And um, as I got a little bit better in the ICU, they, of course, let me go, got me into a clinic, a dias clinic, where I did four sessions a week for five hours, cleaning my blood, filtering it out. So it was like a, like a part-time job then. So you would go to a clinic, get hooked up. You were there for five hours, four days a week. Yes, sir. Yep. So um, if you can imagine, um, that make that uh, puts a pinch on your lifestyle real quickly. Exactly. You know I mean? with, with your time. With your time. Yes, it is a part time job. Yeah. Yep. And then um, because I'm in the service industry, as far as training people, being there for them, being able to answer and being there in person, um, that became even more difficult because I would still work and uh, I would just, you know, I would have to arrange it around those times. And I would, I would have to be more open with some of my clients about what's going on. And a lot of them were really great about adjusting to it <clears throat> because you still need income. You know, the bills don't stop coming in at that time. And I was on, um, you know, my my private health insurance at the time. And that's another whole big story. So within a month, the bills started to pile up so high. And, you know, we're all accustomed to a certain lifestyle, depending on whatever you make and uh, and paying your bills. And the private insurance, there was some insurance issues with that. And um, basically, just to kind of give you an idea, at least here in Colorado, I don't know where else, but um, dialysis runs about 87000 a month. Okay, that's not including surgeries, doctor visits, or medications. That's a lot of money. Yeah. So, and I'd already had three surgeries leading up to that you know, getting prepped. And, uh, so basically, um, like I said, had some, some insurance issues and, uh, the cost for my private insurance and then coming up with my deductible and all that was, was getting out of hand. So I don't mind sharing this. Um, there are people in dialysis that are privately funded. There are people in dialysis that, um, could be um, have a great insurance that can still allow them to be insured. But um, at the time I was in there, I was told nationally that about 87% of people on dialysis do have to go to um, Medicare or Medicaid um, because you simply cannot afford it. And um, what that happens, my friend, is is here in Colorado, you have to be at an income of 18000 or less to qualify. They will come and look at your bank accounts. If you got, you will have to drain all that into your bills, whatever savings, whatever assets that you have until you're under 18000 and they, they will come and help you. And I'm not complaining. I'm just telling you how it is. And that's a, that's a tremendous change in a life. Um, you got to remember, there's, I'm on my own here. And it's not a sympathy story. It's just, that's the situation. So I had to cut down my clientele, not just because I was sick, but for income reasons, um, my life savings, some of my investments, all that was losing everything because you have to, you know, drain it into all the bills and, and whatnot to qualify. 
And then what happens is, is then um, that covers your dialysis, your surgeries, and your medications 100%. So just trying to give you a little background how expensive that can get really quick. Yeah, thanks for that context. And, mm-hmm. and um, so um, in that first month, <laughs> um, it, uh, as things racked up, it was about two months, and then I went on Medicaid, and um, it drained everything, just literally thousands upon thousands, just pulled it right out. As I said, dialysis is 87000 a month. My insurance would only cover about three quarters of that. And, uh, <clears throat> and then the medications and the surgeries were tremendous as well. So that was a big challenge to start off with. Um, then my personal relationship, um, the lady I was with at the time said that, um, and I think a lot of people should know this, that when you have a life-changing situation for all the spouses or girlfriends or boyfriends, whoever they have, it is tremendous to have that support, especially if they're there to stick it out with you. But I do believe that you shouldn't be better if people are just not cut out for that. And um, if they do not want to be a part of that or to be a support system for you, and um, she decided that she didn't want to be around for all that. And I think it's very easy at that time to get bitter or get upset or, or wonder why people aren't sticking around you in that. There was a gentleman that was getting dialysis with me one day, and he says, Mark, 80% of people just don't care that, that you're sick and on dialysis, and the other 20% are just glad it's not them. So it's a, it was a, it was a perception. And, um, and because I had done so many things in my life on my own, I was like, this is okay. But support system is huge. Whatever, whatever that comes from. So I had a a couple of friends that were out of state and uh, they definitely kept the phone calls coming in, which was great. So in a matter of two months, I had a relationship gone. Um, My finances changed dramatically. Um, had to, um, break my lease and move out of an apartment that I was in. And I moved in and extremely grateful afterwards, after all this moved in and rented a room with nine other people in the house. No kidding. (laughs) Yep. So, um, go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's like being back in college in the dormitory or something. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. But it was a big, it was a big change. And that's nine strangers. Yeah, this isn't family. These aren't people that I know. Okay, Um, and um, people live their own lives, doing their own things. So, um, and shared the house because at that point, financially, that's that's just where you're at. And um, and and these, by the way, these people weren't sick like me. They were just you know, any any city, any state with life lifestyles and expenses out there. A lot of people do um, have roommates. So, uh, um, went ahead and, um, went through, start, got into my treatments, kept working as much as possible. So, um, from 2017 
through um, 2019, I did, um, counted them up yesterday, I had 16 different surgeries wow. for procedures that um, involve dialysis, whether it's clotting or um, a port won't work anymore, or I went from um, there's different kinds of dialysis. And my last one I ended up using for most of the time was called hemodialysis. So there's all these surgeries done in order to make all that work. And that can be a long conversation. Um, and then Did having all these surgeries would... where you, I mean, where you down emotionally, mentally, or was it, these are necessary steps for my ultimate survival here. I looked at it as ultimate survival. And yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I was at a point where I went from living and making the most out of every day to, um, and holding myself to a standard into like, almost like just simply a survival mode. Yeah. And that's enough. While it's a place that I can go to, I mean, nobody wants to be in that position, you know, and, um, but it is exactly what you said. It's a means in order to keep you going. Yeah. And, um, so there, and you don't have any choice. I mean, unless you just want to stop and, and that be it. And, um, so you kind of get into the routine and it just seemed like every surgery I would have down the, there would be a complication just because my body just to, you know, a lot of people, the average lifespan on a dialysis machine is five years. There's exceptions. There's people that have been on them for 15 or 20 years, but my body just could not get cleaned right. And it had other issues. And I was very um, fragile physically on any of these surgeries for whatever reason, which is just mind blowing for me. I mean, I would get one done and then they, there was a complication. So um, swellings, infections to um, it not working out right. You know, it just, it was just over and over and over, but again, it was about, this is what we got to do next. And at that, that time I would drive myself to the hospital. I took ambulance rides. Um, this was a, this was a one man show and I was determined that I'd get through it. And, um, so went ahead and, um, got those treatments done and met a lady in there who was a nurse and um, for a lot of specific reasons, I will not um, share her, her, her name and whatnot, but um, there's, she's a special person in my life and kind of was for lack of better words, a breath of fresh air during that time. Um, Because whoever that is there for you, that supports you, that's, that is tremendous, very much so. And, um, while with her work, her family and whatnot, she could not, um, be there for me all the time. We were, she was just a, it was a great relationship. She had an understanding of what I was going through, you know, as far as the procedures, the surgeries and whatnot. And, um, she came to me one day and says, you know what, we're going to fly out to San Diego this weekend. <laughs> I was like, yeah, right. Well, she says, I am a nurse. I know. And she did work in the dialysis center. She goes, why not? So she would always look up these great rates and find good deals. 
And I tell you what, that really kept me going. So we did like three or four trips that year, different places, of course, on weekends um, around those those treatments. And it just, you know, it, it gave me a little bit of life. Now, I didn't always feel well, but um, it was great to get out, get away and um, and to do that. And uh, she stuck stuck around clear through. And I'll share more about that as we go along here. So, um, and during those, that time too, tremendous amount of medications, uh, the doctors not blaming them. A lot of times they just issue them out and say, take this. And, uh, there's a lot to it when you're talking about 40 to 80 pills a day, depending on what the thing is. So, um, it was a tremendous help to have a medical professional medical person being able to sort those out, help me out and know when to take them and how to take them. You're not kidding. 40 to 80 pills a day. Mm-hmm. Depending on the situation yeah. I was in or what right. surgery I, I had just got done. And you got to remember when you're sick like this on dialysis, you still have all those toxins in you and including into your, in your mind, it, it will filter into your brain. Um, so, um, it's really hard to focus and concentrate. Um, and then during that time, as you go through that, they can't clean your body completely. So just a couple of things I'll tell you. Um, I ended up, ended up um, developing calcium deposits in my Achilles tendons, had a surgery in there as well, because I got to where I couldn't even walk. Oh, and they man. go in there and they pull that up. Uh, for three months, I had blood vessels burst in my eyes to where everything was dark and gray for my vision. And I don't say this proudly, but I had the routes to my clients so memorized that I was told not to drive, but I would go by by memory of everywhere I needed to go in order to see some of my clients. You're kidding. But I couldn't couldn't even hardly see a stop sign. And in retrospect, that's extremely dangerous. I don't encourage anybody to do that. But um, I was determined to still work in obviously you need to survive as well. So those are some things that did come up during dialysis. I want to make it very clear that everybody has their own different problems during dialysis. This may not apply to everybody that has gone through that. It's just my body was a wreck. It did not take it very well. And um, so those are a couple examples of some really big challenging times. And uh, so Things progressed, got worse, because they're always taking labs on you, always, constantly monitoring, constantly monitoring, monitoring, monitoring your weight. It'd be a hot summer. These are just some random things. It would be a hot summer. And guess what? Your max amount of liquids that you could intake was 20 ounces of water. Um, if not, I could blow up by 24 pounds the next day because of fluid retention. If you kept drinking, does that make sense? That makes a ton of sense. Um, I didn't urinate for two years. So that totally shuts you off. You know, if your kidneys aren't functioning, you're not going to release any urine out a normal way. Okay. Um, the other way of getting rid of waste that stayed natural and that worked fine. But um, when you are literally filling your body up with your own urine and your own toxicities, that are going through um you can't um hydrate whatsoever 
And you're talking to a guy that was averaging over a gallon of water a day religiously. I'll bet. (laughs) Yeah. So that was, so that was a big change regardless of the time of the year, you know? And so just, I was just mentioning those to kind of give you some of the the challenges. You got to go on a special diet. That wasn't so hard for me because I've always been pretty regimented and strict, but at the same time, um, I'll give you one example real quick. I was very into high protein diets um, because that does maintain muscle mass. It also um, helps you stay leaner. And um, while you do need protein on a um, on dialysis, it drops tremendously, tremendously. So I had to rethink how I ate completely. And uh, then sometimes, to be honest with you, I was so sick, I'd only eat once a day anyways. So those are just to kind of give you an idea of a few of the challenges. Um, Every time you go into those places, um, you do find some upbeat people, but it's very few. You know, it's it's um, it's very depressing. It's very discouraging. I got to know some people in there that were going through the same thing as me and we would share our stories and encourage each other. And, um, and you're going to run into some really negative people and really bitter because you easily could go that route. And I I didn't wake up every day positive, but I was determined that there was some way, some end to this at that time. So, um, you don't have a life. (laughs) You just don't. And, um, so my work, started to shrink lower and lower and lower as I got more sick and um, ended up finding out that um, my body was starting now to fail more on the dialysis machine. So it wasn't working. And they increased the times, you know, six, eight hours at a time, just when, when, when keep me going. And, um, Basically, I had a conversation with a couple of my doctors one day, and he says, the dialysis is starting to fail you. Your body is failing. And um, I'm proud to say at that time, I had never quit on anything in my life. And that I was, you know, um, and I say this very humbly, um, not in an arrogant or egotistical way, but I'm not, I wasn't a quitter. And, um, while this whole process was humbling for so many different reasons, when they told me that, then I had a really hard time seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. And I felt like my time was getting short and they, they made that very clear as well. In the state of Colorado to be on a transplant list, you're looking at six to 10 years. Every state's different. And that's a long time to wait for a transplant. While there were people during this whole time that knew I would need a, need a transplant in order to, to live a, a more normal, healthier lifestyle than living on a machine, I never asked anybody. Um, I will share more about this at the end, but I'm all for organ donating, donation. Um, it is You are literally improving or saving somebody's life. But for me, I never felt never felt guilty, but I never felt right about ever asking anybody, Hey, can you do this for me? Um, I just felt like somebody would have to feel obligated to, or I would show up on last long enough to get one on the list. And, um, 
my son obviously knew about all this and he, uh, we were in constant communication and I told him, um, back where the doctors say the machines are failing and he would fly out whenever he could, you know, when you're active duty military, they own you. (laughs) So he had limited times where he could visit, but they were very memorable and, um, and very encouraging when I saw him. Um, so I told him and he says, well, dad, um, I'd sure like for you to be around longer. And, uh, would it be all right with you if I went and got tested because there's a tremendous amount of tests and it's very detail oriented and time consuming. And I says, if that's, if that's something you're willing to do, I'm okay. If this proceeds though, I don't want you to do anything that would interrupt or ruin your military career. If that's something you want to continue to do, because that's not an ordinary job. Um, so he got permission. And uh, that doesn't happen overnight, by the way. And um, he got that and he flew out here to Denver, got tested. And it's extremely low percentage that somebody related to you is a match. It's usually a a stranger. Um, I don't have a rare blood type, so that part helped. But also the body size of the person that may give you a kidney or an organ has to be similar in size and structure. So my son happened to be that, which was great, going into those tests. Also, there's all kinds of programs. There's tons of programs out there that can really help people if somebody's willing to give. He went in, and let's just say he's not a match. He could, If he wanted to, he could still give a kidney, and they would um, fly it out basically on ice and give it to somebody that needs it that is a match, and then they would bump me clear up the list and, and find a match for me me from a from a complete stranger so there's there's programs like that so I started to feel a little bit you know like um it was uplifting you know I was like maybe there's a chance here and um so he he went and got tested and he ended up being a perfect match blood type size the whole shebang and he's extremely healthy at the the time so uh, I was just like wow and uh, it was almost like, um, you know, the, the old cliche that gets worn out. It was meant to be. So mm-hmm. um, um, especially because um, he told me that if I if my kidneys are good and I can give, I'd really like mine to go to you, dad. And I made it very clear to him that, you know, we may not be a match, but you but um, you're you're doing an incredible thing here. And um Anybody that does that is is amazing to me to 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 give to give an organ out of your body to save a life. Um, you know that that makes me um, pause because it's very emotional. It's 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 tremendous what it can do for somebody. Yeah, and I know there's a lot of people out there and a lot of organizations that um, support that and encourage people to um to to give and um after we found out it was a match uh they the hospital says we're we're ready to go and that was all within a month we can get the surgery scheduled for transplant get it going um but then we had to take another hurdle and um 
I knew this because not that I've been through a transplant with the U.S. United States Army, but there's things just it takes a while to get okay for everything. And my experience in the Army um, helped me out when it came to this. It's just you're still going to be impatient regardless. So he went back, talked to his superiors. They were on board. Well, this eventually had to go clear to the general surgeon of the army to okay this. And that's for any transplant for a soldier to give. It has to go through the general surgeon of the army up in the Pentagon. So um, that's a process because there's a chain of command. And it passes from one hand to another hand to another hand. Um, so it's a process. And um, they were literally ready to put the transplant in me two weeks after he proved that his tests were good and that he was a match. Um, it took eight or excuse me, nine weeks later from that date for it to get okay by the general surgeon of the army and for my son to be okay to one, do the, do the transplant to get the time off. And then also, um, that it would not affect his career. They would not, you know, um, give him a, a medical discharge because he could still perform his duties on one kidney. And um, so that must have been excruciating knowing that you have a match, uh, yet you're going through everything you're going through with the dialysis, with all the pills, the surgeries. Um, you got the, the diagnosis from the doctor about your condition but you've got a perfect match and thank goodness for your son uh, for being the match and being very willing and, and interested to provide you a kidney. Absolutely. It was excruciating. Um, but at that time I felt like, you know, I, there was some light at the end of the tunnel. It was just a, a matter of waiting it out. And because he, um, he wanted to get it done so badly. And soon he, you know, he, he was really, um, stressed out and uh, really took it apart. And I just would encourage him that um, we would make it, that it would be okay. So um, during that time though, he came out one more time to check up on me on a weekend. And um, it had snowed that night and uh, I got a hotel room and we uh, got together and just really shared some some time together and, and had some personal conversations. And uh, it was great. Well, later that night, I started to feel really bad. And um, another thing is, is um, to back up a little bit here. Even though I was used to doing things my entire life on my own and, and making things work, this whole process over and over and over um, showed that I couldn't do it on my own. And um, regardless of what you believe in, um, whatever that may be, you know, mine happened to be uh, my background is Christianity and I, and I believe in God and um while I always had a respect for for what I believed in, I never took it quite so seriously. So um, I do believe that he played a big factor in the 
the the events that happened and the timing. Um, there was just things that went right when they needed to go right, when everything seemed to be going wrong around it. And um, so my faith was renewed and um, I had developed more of a, of a, of a faith in during this whole time. And when my son came to visit me there at the uh, hotel, um, I started to feel pretty bad. And I found out that, um, like, <clears throat> that um, as I went to um, go to the restroom and wash my face with some water, that I was um, fading in and out. And I, I just remember yelling his name and said, Trey, come here. And um, what was happening is I was going into a stroke. <clears throat> And had a full-on stroke, couldn't feel the entire left side of my body, down my jaw, clear down, all the way down to my feet. And I fell onto the bathroom floor. And um, <clears throat> he has a lot of medical background in the Army. So he, he then uh, picked me up, called 911. And uh, we proceeded to get to the elevator and get downstairs. And was rushed to the hospital going through a full stroke. <clears throat> and, um, you know, the timing for strokes is very important as far as to get medical help. Yes. And um, I, I couldn't talk to him. Even he, they let him ride in the ambulance, which isn't always that common for sure. They don't usually do that, but he, they let him. And he kept talking to me and they were doing all that they do, the medical stuff. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't move my jaw. Um, they they uh, jammed some things in my mouth to open it up so they could hold my tongue. And um, eventually um, was in the hospital four days. I couldn't talk for three days. Um, I would get a pen and paper and write him messages as he was there in the room the whole time with me. And of course, with nurses and doctors and they would I could obviously hear them and know what the diagnosis was and whatnot. And um, um, by the end of the third day, I was able to talk kind of like with a slur. And at that time, I was extremely worried because I do know what strokes can do and they can leave horrible after after effects that can definitely disable you the rest of your life. And um, I believe that with everything I've been through with all that leading up to that and then that that. Um, the man upstairs just wasn't done with me yet. He was, he, you know, I think sometimes you go through things in life to prepare you for even bigger things down the road. And that's my belief. You don't, nobody has to share that or agree with that, but that's just what I believe. And um, I was like, okay, so what's coming next? <laughs> so um, by the end of the third day, I was able to talk. I could, I could move a little bit. Um, I had to drag my left leg for a while that lasted for about two weeks. Um, uh, the nurse friend I was telling you about, she had come, she was checking up on me all the time. Trey had to fly back to California. So now the stress was really high between the two of us because things were shutting down my body and also causing other problems waiting to get the date for the, the surgery. So I still have the letter today. It's all formally 
signed, printed, and sealed, and or stamped, I should say, by a certain journal, the Army Tray got it, sent it to me, and we got it scheduled. They got it scheduled ten days after that, and on March fourth <clears throat> of two thousand nineteen, um, um, Trey came in the day before. We stayed in a hotel together, and we prepared for the transplant surgery the next morning at um, St. Luke's Presbyterian Hospital here in Denver, Colorado. So um, that was a big moment right there. And listening to you, whether it was the higher power, your faith, or just your inner drive, you weren't ready to go. You know, as you said, the the big fella upstairs had other, has other plans for you, but Absolutely. one way or another, you were, you were thinking this, this is not my time. Right. And I, and I, and I left something out. Um, a lot of this is personal to me and I, and I don't mind sharing some of this, but I know that I'm kind of going around a little bit of circles cause I do remember some, some other key factors and uh, what my beliefs are, are personal to me, but I will share you this too about timing. Remember I said that my son was there when I had a stroke in the uh, hotel. Um, when they said that my kidneys or the, the machine was not working anymore, I had talked to the doctors and very few people even know about this, but I did put a request in to go to hospice. I was done and the fight was over. And, um, with my personal beliefs, you're not committing suicide. If you do not want to live on a machine, um, that that's just what I believe in. And I was going to give it a fight to the end, but when they said that that wasn't going to work and I still had not gotten known that my son was going to come out and test and, and everything work out that, you know, um, I was at peace. And I tell you what, from that point on, very little things bothered me because he, he was either going to take me home or he's going to let me stick around and, and, and take this on and to, um, and to do bigger and better things down the road. And, um, um, that was another huge key timing because three days after I put that request in, that's when my son called. I did not tell him about that. And hey, dad, can I come out and test? <clears throat> so that was put on hold because when you go into hospice with dialysis, you're looking around six to seven days and then you're you're gone. They take you off all the drugs. They take you off uh, with the exception of the painkillers. They take you off the um, the machine and you will you will die. So. Timing, timing, timing was huge through all this. And um, I'm just a, a witness and, a, and that's my testimony when it comes to that. And um, so surgery happened March 4th, 2019. Um, no complications, no problems. That was a big blessing. Um, I will tell you something funny that did happen after the surgery. Uh, they put you on a tremendous amount of fentanyl. There's um, all kinds of different pain medications, of course, you know, out there. And we did not know that I was allergic to fentanyl. 
So laying there in bed. Oh no. After surgery, after I woke up, I was severely itching and I've got all these things hooked up to me, including an 11 inch incision down. It's 11 inches. And I'll tell you where that is here in a second. Um, The incision for the kidney. I'm trying not to rupture anything going on there. And you're constantly itching and trying to, I mean, it was just miserable. So um, they switched me to a drug called Dilata. And of course I responded much better, but that was an experience that I was like, Oh my God. They said, you're going to feel so much better when you come out of surgery. I mean, not like your life returns to normal day one, but you're going to feel great. And we're going to get you some food and all that. I was like, I'm sitting here miserable, just itching like crazy. They got on it right away. The staff was incredible. But I went through about nine hours of that because they had to use that particular drug for a while to keep me um, because you have a it's like a pulse. You get to push the button every time it comes because the pain is incredible, you know, post-surgery. Hey, Mark, I'm losing you. Um, you're, uh, it's not, you're not coming through. If you can hear me. Is odd, but it's uh, less um, evasive or pulling them out. Okay. I can hear you. Okay. So you were, where you cut out is. You were, um, you were uh, allergic to the fent- fentanyl, and you were using your thumb to like for the pain. Yeah, they. Um, you ready for me to go ahead and go? Um, let's see. Uh, go ahead and say something. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yep, I, I can uh, hear you. Okay. Okay. So, so. Um, Let's go back to just, you're allergic to fentanyl. Mm-hmm. So I'm allergic to fentanyl and they didn't know that. I didn't know that. And uh, coming out of that surgery, they gave me a pulse, what they call, where you push a button and it sends it through you a certain amount. And of course, that is a, a very strong, heavily medic, um, pain medication that is used post-surgery for a lot of things. And um when I found they found out is because I was itching and it was tremendously bothersome coming out of it. So eventually they were able to switch that to uh, Delada, and I responded much better. But um, it was a it was a not so funny moment, but funny looking back at it because I was just itching like I had just um, ran through a, a bunch of poison ivy bushes or something, so to speak. Um, but a lot of itching okay and so from there you've got the transplant uh you Mm -hmm. got off the fentanyl uh you got a better medication for you Mm -hmm. 
how how soon were you up kind of out of the hospital and starting to resume life uh well i would start with my son uh trey gave his kidney that monday it was a monday monday morning yeah and he was he was up and walking around that night and he left wednesday back to base california no kidding that's amazing isn't it the technology and and what they got I, on the other hand, had to run through several tests. I was closely monitored, of course. Um, and um, they wanted to make sure that, um, one, I was good to go overall, but also um, that I could urinate um, because they redo your entire plumbing down there and connect it in order for you to start up again. Because also your bladder collapses. Um, if you haven't been using it for a couple of years. So there's a lot of things that go on surgically and, and whatnot that they have to monitor to make sure everything's working. <clears throat> and um, had surgery that Monday and um, I was able to leave that Friday. So five days there. Um, I remember I didn't at the time have anybody that could pick me up from the hospital and they always want you to leave with, with somebody, you know, not necessarily an Uber at, for that particular situation. And I remember telling him that, Oh, I have somebody to pick me up. And um, I casually walked out all heavily medicated and called an Uber and took a ride home and sat down the rest of the day and kind of took everything in. Um, and then you asked about how long it got me to get back to normal. While while the kidney was functioning very well, my body had had kind of like gone to sleep over the, those couple of years and um, was not was not functioning right. So like electrolytes and minerals and all that were not being processed. So I went into five hour infusions for six months, three days a week. After that, that was not planned, but that's what I had to go through. So for six months after that, I was weak. My phosphorus was low. So my bones were very brittle. They can break. Um, and tremendous amount of f- fatigue. To be honest, it felt a lot like when I was without a good kidney. And they told me all that, even though it wasn't planned. It does not happen to everybody with a transplant. Some people with transplants, they bounce right back and they're ready to go. So um, six months later on infusions, I was slowly getting back into work. After all that, I I was down to three clients that stuck with me clear to the end. Um, And just processing everything and going into infusion treatments. And by that six month, I started to feel better. The tests started to come back. And overall, to kind of tell you, it took an entire year for me, for all my labs and everything to come out normal and for me to actually start feeling like myself again, a year after transplant. So we're on uh, year three post-transplant and um, I have some limitations as far as diet restrictions. Um, I'm on immunosuppressive drugs every day. Um, so I, um, but I do feel 
I do have a new life and uh, I actually felt really well. So let's, and, and, you know, thank goodness you're here. Uh, you were on a zoom call. You look great. <laughs> um, so your new life, uh, let's hear more about that. And, and as we sort of pivot and shift into this discussion around profound awesomeness, you know, how, tell us about your new life and is life different? Is it more, is it profoundly more awesome uh, than it was prior to 2017? How are things manifesting themselves for you? Well, things are happening quickly. And um, first of all, I'd like to also say too, that uh, my perception on a lot of things in life change. I think for anybody that goes through what I went through, regardless of what the illness might possibly be, or the health issue, you it does give you a different perspective. And the biggest thing I got coming out of that was gratitude for number one. And um, when you wake up every morning with gratitude, regardless of how bad or how good your day is, it, it does give you a different perspective. And you don't have to go through something like I did to have gratitude. It's just before I was happy with life, but I was just go, 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 and never um, slowing it down and just being extremely thankful every day of everything. And, um, even the little things, um, time was extremely important to me being a successful person before. And now time is even more important. It's more more important than any kind of money I could make or any accomplishment I could make. So, um, time is extremely valuable. There's a sense of urgency more now as well because I've been given this second chance to um, even make the most out of every opportunities I have. Um, I even get, um, my son was always a priority being a single parent, but now that I have an opportunity, he's even more of a priority. He's 25 years old now Um, to be around him, to be more involved as much as possible. And, um, it's also a big rebuilding time for me. Um, I pretty much lost um, financially and um, going into this, and now I, I'm rebuilding. Um, I work for a friend of mine who runs a medical clinic and uh, have a great opportunity to help people in there and to manage his uh, clinic. So I run into people daily and then also my clientele with the, the personal training and whatnot is, is picked up dramatically. So um, it, I'm just, um, I'm, believe it or not, I'm a happier person um, I, um, because of the perception I do have. And that perception is, is make the most of it every time and to stop and listen to people even more than what I did now. Um, you never know when somebody out there is really going through something and it's just a society we judge and assume things so quickly on things even if we were trying to be so open-minded and, and um, you, you never know what people are going through and um, so I can't relate to everybody but I can definitely understand 
trials and tribulations and being having perseverance for a lot of people, no matter what their struggles or challenges are. So um, that is that has led into the line of work I'm in now with the clinic and then also my training business. And that's enhanced it. It's it's uh, given me so um, it's like a, a huge credential, so to speak, as far as having that background and going through all that. So um, I'm a, I'm a work in progress and I will be And um, the, the things in the past, to be honest with you, they shape your future. Um, but they don't really matter to me now. It's, it's all about what, what happens from a day-to-day basis now. And, um, and uh, keeping my priorities what they are. So, and that's a real present way to be, just being day to day, and being able to. I'll say ignore the past. That's not what I mean to say, but mm-hmm. you know, deprioritize it or 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 move it into another part of your brain. <laughs> and, Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know how best to describe it's, it, but I know what you're saying. Cause I could come out of this either. I'll just give me comes. I could come out of this bitter or as a victim. Yeah. I refuse to be either one of those. Okay. Um, and there's people out there that go through tremendously much more challenging things than I ever will know or see or experience. And, um, I, um, extremely thankful and, um, I refuse to be, I just refuse to be a victim. I ref, you know, it was, I was down and out for a while, but you know what? I'm back, um, in a, in a humble way, of course. And, um, I want to help people. I, I want to, and I have been able to help people through most of my life. And even now more with the perception and the perspective that I have. And, um, so it was the knowledge I gained and, was was tremendous and um but uh would i go would i want to go through that again absolutely not but um i'm gonna make the most of what i have moving forward yeah we don't wish these sorts of things on on anyone but when Mm -hmm. you we get to the we're fortunate to get to the other side and to have this perspective gained um it's just so powerful. And for you, gratitude and time and urgency, uh, I'm, I can completely relate. I'm just wondering for urgency, do you feel an urgency to do something or to accomplish something, or is it an urgency to celebrate life and be grateful? You know, what, what does this urgency do for you? I'm actually a little bit of both of what you mentioned. Um, uh, for example, I'm going a lot on a lot more trips course financially i'm in a lot better position to be honest with you than during that time and uh um, i do do those with the nurse that i was telling you about Mm -hmm. and um in in enjoying life and and celebrating and not that's just not just celebrating being healthy but um not making my work or um other things going on in my life so much of a priority that I can't go and enjoy other things. Cause I'm such a, a grinder, like for lack of work, I'm just, um, I'm so motivated and so focused leading up to when I was sick 
I didn't leave a lot of time to really enjoy things like what I was like, I can always enjoy it later, you know? And, um, while that's not a horrible mindset, you, you should enjoy things through throughout entirely of life. In my opinion, after going through that, um, and we all know that once we are born, there's going to be a time where we pass and, um, you just never know when that time comes or when you're in a position like I was where, it's taken away from you to a lot of things that you um, maybe have taken for granted or you don't think much about. So um, there's also a sense of urgency as far as accomplishing some things and doing some things. And I'm still in the process of, of um, processing all that and putting it together. Um, I'm an avid component or comp- component. Geez. I'm avid about telling people and talking to people uh, about the value of organ donating. I don't belong to a group and organization, but I do support those. Um, I do make frequent trips and phone calls to people I know that are on the same thing that I was on, such as dialysis, encouraging, still in contact with two of the guys I was with during that time who are still on dialysis. And um, so, but it's outside from that, there's some things I want to accomplish and, uh, and uh, it's like I said, it took a year after transplant to even feel like myself again. So it, it has been a slow process, but then there's other things that have happened dramatically quickly for me. And um, the um, the citizens' urgency of time can remind us all to be thankful for the little things. Uh, make sure you take that special extra time with the people close to you and to um, no matter how bad the situation is or how busy you are to never, to never um, take it for granted or not take the minute to spend or say something to that loved one, so to speak every day, every day. And for me, that is in it. And for me, I can only speak for myself. I do that particularly. And then I'm also um, very thankful for, to the man upstairs for giving me these opportunities to wake up every day. I'm very thankful. So it's not like I think I'm thankful once a month or once a year for being able to do what I do. And um, my mother, um, even though I wasn't really close to my parents, I'll put this in there. Um, my mother passed away last November with a brain aneurysm, high blood pressure. Sorry to hear that. Mm. And uh, thank you. And um, so I also do, not in a, not using a scare tactic by any means, but um, the people I do run into and they say that, hey, I have some things that are, running my family after they know what I've been through. I I tell them, take as many preventive measures as you can, whatever that may be. And not to live your life scared, but to know that these things are out there. And if there's a way to prevent it, whatever, whether it's a, a daily habit that you do or medication you should be on or whatnot, or the daily checkups to do that. Because it could it could it could prevent something huge down the road, and um, but 
And then finally, with all that said, I will tell you this. There is nothing that I get worried about anymore. We live in a very interesting time in a very crazy world. And there's still a lot of good in it. And you have to sometimes look hard for some good things. But there is some good things. There's good people. And, um, but I'm not going to, there's nothing that bothers me when I wake up each day. That's phenomenal. And again, my condolences for the loss of your mother. Uh, there's so much that you're saying, I'm nodding as you're talking. There's so much that you're saying that I um, agree with, or it, and it resonates with me entirely. In fact, you know, with the urgency, you know, I have a sense of urgency as well. And, you know, I'm five, I just celebrated five years uh, post heart attack this month, in fact. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. My, my five-year survivor anniversary, as I call it. Um, but I'm still uh, looking at this, this element of urgency in my life about taking advantage of, of every day and, and how can I put a, make a positive dent in the world um, with the time that I have left? Um, and I think part of that urgency manifested itself through me by the creation of the Profound Awesomeness podcast um, to be able to bring these stories to light, to, to help people, to inspire people, um, to get the wisdom that you've so kindly shared with us about how you see the world now based on what you've been through. And, and hopefully that will benefit others. Um, but, but, but still, I still feel that beating drum of urgency uh, behind me in a way uh, that I'm still working through myself. Well, um, based on hearing your podcast, um, being able to be a part of this one today, um, I will say that um, this is a very positive thing that you're doing, in my opinion. Um, I think if it does reach out and touches some of those people's lives, then that's a major accomplishment and what, what it should be all about. And um, you doing this podcast is, is what I was referring to as of about what I was processing and wanting to accomplish down the road. Um, obviously something different, but um, it's, it is a positive, positive thing for, for people to, to come across and uh, not just yourself individually, but your podcast. So um, I, um, have a tremendous amount of respect for that. Well, thank you so much for, for saying that. I really, I really appreciate it. And these conversations are eye opening for me as I have them with people who've been through all these different situations and so trying and in, in some ways, you know, I'm, I'm not grateful. I had a heart attack, but you know, it happened and it was go time and it needed to be dealt with immediately. <laughs> and I didn't have to, you know, suffer uh, an illness that was taking me down um, or a sickness that was taking me down for weeks to months to years and, and have to mentally deal with that financially deal with that emotionally mm -hmm. deal with that. Um, and, and in some ways, I guess I'm, I feel lucky uh, that I didn't have to go through everything that, that you went through and, and um, I'm grateful you're here and I'm grateful for the time and perspective and wisdom you shared with the show Um I think uh, this will definitely benefit and help some people. And it's not even people going through it. It's people who have loved ones who are going through something like this uh, to understand what they're going through and to, to, to 
to your point, provide that support that is so important. Maybe this will provide some more clarity and context that will help loved ones support those who are going through serious dialysis and kidney failure and, and so forth. But uh, with that, I'd, I'd, I'd like to just say a big, huge thank you uh, for, for coming on Profound Awesomeness and, and joining us. And, and we had to work through some technical issues today, no doubt. <laughs> but uh, hopefully in, in post-production, we'll, uh, we'll um, hopefully get that as, as clean as we can get it. And uh, again, Mark, just, uh, just a huge thank you for coming on the show today. Not a problem. Glad we could do it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Profound Awesomeness. We appreciate you being here. Make sure to listen to future episodes and please subscribe to Profound Awesomeness wherever you download your podcasts.